Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Thank you so much for hanging out with us, spending your Sunday with us. For those online watching, thank you so much for taking time and checking this out. Uh, my name is Bradley Hamilton. I am our family engagement pastor here. And so I oversee and help run the, our kids' programs, and our student programs. Um, but I love these opportunities to come and talk with you guys, especially around the series, as you'll hear in a minute, that I am extremely passionate about, especially recently. Um, before we get going on that, I want to ask a question. And I actually want audience participation, okay? So I know it's 11 a.m., but you guys have more coffee than the 9 a.m. So um, I will actually want you to raise your hand, okay? Um, if, if you're gonna participate, um, I'm gonna ask a question, raise your hand if um, you have ever, right, in the past or this year, made, not kept, I'm not gonna ask you about that, but made a New Year's Eve resolution. Anybody make a New Year's resolution? At some point, you decide, I wanna change something, I wanna have a goal. Okay, most of the room, right? Um, a New Year's resolution, it's this time we're looking forward to a year ahead, 2023. We want it in a lot of ways to be better than the year before. And so we look at our lives, we look at our relationships, we look at our finances, we look at whatever happened, and we go, hey, I want this next year to be different, right? So it's an easy reset point. We decide that hey, let's change it. Um, I am really, really good at making New Year's Eve resolutions. I'm so great at making them. In fact, it doesn't take me any time and I come up with a list right away. And I do that because um, it's simply the list from last year. I don't know if anyone else is with me. I just roll them right over, right? They were a wash. You know, I said, uh, I'm gonna get in shape in 2022. Didn't happen. Let's just add on 2023, right? Rolls right over. So I have no problem in making a resolution list. Um, what I have a problem with, and I've just noticed this in my own life, maybe I'm the only one, um, is that 92%, 92% of New Year's resolutions end before Valentine's Day. This is the truth, okay? So that means that if you raised your hand, which I have to say was the majority of the people in the room, and I'm sure most of you online, um, that means that 92% of you have either already given up or are about to, right? Um, that also just means that, that means 8% of you are actually accomplishing your goals, 8%. Right? And so in some ways this is good news because that means we're not alone. So if you're like, oh, I've failed at mine, the person next to you most likely has failed at theirs as well. But the bad news is we can't just live with 8% of us actually moving forward on what we want. And this is what's kind of just been bothering me is going, how oh, we have to figure out a way to actually take hold of the dreams, the goals, the things that we want to tackle and accomplish. And for me, I'm just kind of wired this way. I think systems and processes. And so um, I tend to nerd out down a subject and I've done it with this one. Okay. So just be warned um, before I start these next three weeks. Um, but I wanted to read everything I could get my hands on about habits, about um, building in habits, ending habits, um, self-discipline, what it looks like to build these in our lives. And so there's a bunch of great psychology studies. There is a ton of great books out there by really, really smart people. And so I just started to read and I just started to research. And um, what I've learned has been helpful, but also what I saw was that this is way more than I thought a very spiritual issue. That for me in my spiritual life, this is actually something um, that is incredibly, incredibly helpful. And so 
Here's what I want to say. First of all, to those in the room who um, you're a skeptic about all of this, you're not sure about church, you're figuring out Jesus, you have questions. Um, the, the biggest thing I want you to know is that you're in a great place um, because we really design all of this with you in mind. In fact, um, we believe that you can belong here even if you never believe. Okay. Uh, we also believe that it's a safe place to ask big questions, to discover faith. We believe in progress at your pace. And so no one's kind of rushing you to figure out some things in life. We just want you to know that this is a safe place to be able to spend time and investigate and you belong. Day one, regardless of your questions, your past, how you've walked in, um, whatever your view of church has been or whatever someone told you about God, um, you belong. And so um, I think too, this is a perfect series for you to be a part of this um, because I'll let you in a little secret. A lot of what I'm gonna share isn't even from the Bible. Okay. Um, a lot of what I'm going to share is psychology. It's um, studies done by New York Times bestsellers and, and colleges and universities. And so that's a lot of what I'm going to share. What I also think though, is that Jesus said a lot of this before science showed us that it was true. And what you will see in a lot of scripture and in Jesus, and I hope to point it out, is a lot of the things that culture is now seeing as something that we need to address, Jesus addressed a long time ago. And so I think if you're not a Christ follower in the room, again, it will still be helpful. And this will help you a ton in life. And maybe you want to pick up something that Jesus said or something's new information. You kind of want to investigate that more. And that's great. That, that's our hope. Um, but also for those in the room who you are a Christ follower, I think this is still really important. In fact, I think that a lot of our goals we have, if we were to be honest, are spiritual goals, right? A lot of us want to, you know, have a better prayer life or want to understand scripture more, or want to be able to help people more when it comes to areas of faith, or maybe we want to be able to lead uh, spiritually in our household or with our kids. Those are huge spiritual goals. And we can't afford to roll those over year after year. And some of those, if we really want to move forward in our faith and we really want to see God do what we've been praying for him to do for a long time, it might mean that we get to work accomplishing some of our goals and some of our habits. And so I hope this is helpful, again, Christ follower or not. Um, but let me give you three reasons as we get started uh, as to why our goals don't succeed. Okay, so these are reasons why they don't succeed. This isn't all of them. It's not comprehensive, but I think these are three major ones that we're going to be talking about a little bit in this series. Um, the first is that we underestimate small decisions. We underestimate small decisions when it comes to the making change of our lives. Uh, you know, we think, and we tend to just think this in every area, that if someone's successful, it was one or two big decisions that got them there. In business, we think, okay, it was one business deal that set them up. In their marriage, we think, oh, they just found the right person. That's why everything is, is going great. Um, whatever it is, we tend to look at their life and go, there is one maybe big decision. What we don't see is the thousands of little ones the thousands of maybe insignificant decisions that actually went into building success in their lives. We just tend to underestimate, underestimate the small ones. And we do that because just, let's just be real. They don't feel big in our lives, right? When you do a small task or a small decision, it doesn't have any kind of immediate payoff, right? It doesn't feel like it's moving the needle anywhere. And so today on the way home, you decide, okay, I'm not going to get a burger. I'm going to get a salad. Then you get home and you weigh yourself and the scale doesn't move, right? It seems so small and we just don't feel like they're doing anything. We just feel like that's one small thing I did. Now, the opposite is also true of bad decisions. When they're just small and insignificant, we don't feel like they're really doing all that much. So it's, a, it's a easier maybe to make them. So it's one lie, didn't end our marriage. It was, it was one conversation or comment that we probably shouldn't have made, but like that relationship isn't destroyed. And so we don't really give weight to these small decisions, good or bad. But here's what you know. There's small decisions over time that do build into something. And true success and true failure 
often don't come from one massive decision. They come from little ones built up over time, but we tend to underestimate those. So that's something we'll be talking about. We'll talk about that more next week. Um, here's a second reason I think we um, don't accomplish our goals. We also underestimate unseen progress. Progress that isn't tangible, that we don't see. We just tend to underestimate that. Um, can I be honest? Um, this is really embarrassing, but this is my biggest barrier. And uh, I will decide, okay, I'm going to go to the gym. So I go to the gym, I work out, and I come home. And maybe this is just me, and this, uh, I'm just embarrassing myself. Um, I will catch myself that night looking in a mirror to be like, did it work? You know? And, and of, of course it didn't, right? And I do it every time and I don't understand why. It's because I want to see progress from that one decision I made. And that's just not how change works. That's not how any change works. And so too often we just quit because we're not seeing the progress that we're actually making. And so this might have been your story if you tried to budget and you budgeted great for a month and you said no to going out, and you didn't buy that thing on Amazon, even though it was bestseller and your friend reviewed it, but like you just said no. And then you're not out of debt at the end of the month. And you're going, is this really mattering? Is it really making a difference? And it is, you are making such important progress. You just didn't see it happen. Maybe, you know, you decide, okay, I'm gonna go to this therapy session. I'm gonna do the work to get my mental health right. And you had one session, you kind of got to know the person. Then you went home and you just felt like, I'm not healed of my trauma right? L listen, you are making progress. Important pro progress that other people won't make. You are making the difference and you are stepping out on something that is going to pay off with so much reward. But in the moment, the progress is not seen. And too often, I think this is why most of them end before Valentine's Day. We get a month and a half into our New Year's resolutions and go, I just don't see progress. So I'm throwing in the towel and we quit. And that's what we're gonna talk about more in the weeks. But here's where I wanna focus on this week. We underestimate those last two, but we tend to overestimate our failures. We overestimate the moments and the times that we have messed up, that our goal didn't work. And those are often what drive, drive the rest of our habits. So I wanna to talk to the people in the room who you failed at something. You tried to step out and maybe it was a business deal that you failed at. Maybe it was a relationship or a marriage that you failed at. Maybe it was you feel right now you're failing in finances or parenting and you just feel like a failure. I wanna talk specifically to you because the failure isn't the problem. Here's what I mean by that. Failure to some degree is inevitable for all of us. In fact, failure, I hate to say this, is often a good sign, okay? Because it means that you are stepping out in something new, taking risk, trying to change something that's just always been a certain way, you are paving new ground. And so failure is going to happen. I hate to tell you that. The problem becomes when we take a failure, something that happened and we make it who we are, our identity. And too many of us, we take something that took place that we messed up on and we say instead, I am messed up. And I am this thing. And so then it leads us to change our entire identity around a momentary mistake, a momentary misstep, something we can learn from. And instead of just learning from that thing, we now go, well, I'm just no good at relationships. I'm just not a good parent. I just can't beat this addiction. I will never find healing from this thing and this trauma of my past. And we begin to make our identity a failure. And the reason this is so, so dangerous, and I, I had to start here for week one, is because our identity is what dictates our habits. 
Your identity is what will drive everything else, not the other way around. Too often we want to change who we are, and so we try to change these behaviors and these actions. Like, if I can just eat better, here's who I'll become. And that's not necessarily how it works. We have to figure out who, where is our identity and what is that lion, and that will begin to lead us in the direction of change. There's a um, psychologist named James, James Clear, and he wrote a book called Atomic Habits, which I highly recommend. But he talked about this idea and what they found through data studies of change came from identity change first. And uh, he, he had this idea that he kind of developed the, the, the identity loop. And so I just kind of put it on a slide that would sort of help us to see it because I'm a visual learner. And so it starts off with a negative identity, if you want to throw that up. It starts off with a negative identity. So whatever that thing is that I'm too far gone, I'm too broken, I'm a bad parent, I can't do relationships, whatever it is. And then that negative identity causes us to actually take a negative decision, a negative action, because we're already this thing. So what's one small and they're always small decision that we make out of this negative place? They're always small because again, we underestimate small. And so we think oh, it's just another drink. It's just a one text message. It's not a big deal, but because I am this thing, we take one negative action. The problem is negative action over time becomes a negative habit. We know that habits aren't these one massive big decisions, but they are little decisions over time that eventually maybe became subconscious. Maybe you don't even realize you're doing them. Maybe they're just so ingrained to your routine or your way of life, they just happen. And so now we have a negative habit because we've made a lot of negative decisions. And then here's the dangerous part. That negative habit reinforces the negative identity. And it tells us because you always do that thing, of course you're that thing. Because you always mess up, of course, that's why you would mess up again. And we actually become stuck in these habit loops. And so you can take and apply this to whatever this is for your life. You know, someone might go, well, I'm just a bad student. And so I'm just not good at school. I never do good. And so, you know what? I'm going to procrastinate because I'm not going to get an A. I've never get an A. And so, you know, I've done the path sort of worked out. It's going to keep me um, at my grade that I'm going to, you know, need to graduate anyway. So I'm just not a good student. So I'm going to procrastinate. And then you procrastinate a few more times. You go, well, I always procrastinate. So I guess I just have a habit of procrastination, but it seems to work out and whatever. And now... You procrastinate again and again and again. Your grade begins to drop and you go, well, of course it did because I'm a bad student. You're stuck and you feel stuck, but it's because you're stuck in a negative identity loop. Whatever this is, take it to your faith. You go, you know what? I'm just, I'm just not a prayer. I'm just not, I'm not sure about prayer. Haven't quite figured it out. So what I'm going to do is, is not pray. Okay, so uh, not a prayer, so I'm just not gonna pray. And what's one more day of not praying? I'll figure it out eventually. And then over time, years go by, okay, you haven't prayed. And so you begin this habit of, I'm, I'm not a prayer. Like, I just don't pray, I still don't understand it. And so then it's easy to reinforce this idea of, I'm just not someone who prays. It's just a loop. And whatever that area looks like for you, we are stuck and you feel stuck because in some ways you are. And so, we have to figure out how do we get out of this loop? And I think it's got to start with our identity. Now, there's a few ways that we gain these negative identities in our lives. And they look different for each of us. In fact, the, the person next to you, whatever negative identity they're carrying, probably came from somewhere different than yours. And so I want to give a few reasons where they, they might have come from. Um, so maybe you can resonate with some of these. Um, one is that maybe your negative identity came from a mistake that you made. It was, it was a failure. It was something that you did that crossed the line. And maybe you thought, I would never cross this line. So now that you have it, you just feel it marks you, you feel it labels you. And, and maybe it didn't even happen again, but for whatever reason, because it happened that one time, you just feel so marked and labeled 
by whatever mistake this is. And now that mistake is dictating everything. Your relations with other people, your relationship with God and how you think he feels about you. And even though you wouldn't maybe say it in these words, you just can't shake that mistake. And so that's maybe where your negative label came from. Maybe your negative label comes from comparison. Because every time you feel like you're moving forward or you're making progress in a direction, there's always someone else who's doing it better. Or there's always someone else that has more. I think this is harder than ever in our age of social media. Because can I just say, it is so weird being a parent in the age of social media for me. Because um, I will feel like I'm doing something that makes me a great parent. Okay? I'll go to the grocery store and I'll look at all the snacks and I will get the ones that say sugar-free. And I'll get the ones that say organic. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to do it, right? And uh, it's 50 cents more. I'll blow my budget for that because I'm a great parent, okay? So I get the organic snacks, feeling good. I feel like, man, dad of the year, right? And then I get on Instagram and there's some parent that's like growing their own free range wheat in the backyard. And they're grinding it with like an Egyptian stone that's been like proven to help development. And all of a sudden I am not a good dad, right? All my stones aren't from Egypt. Like I don't understand. And so it is so, so tough. What we begin to do, and can I just say this, and maybe this is a different message for a different time. But if comparison is something you find yourself falling into often, can I just tell you, you will always lose. You'll always lose. Because what you do when you compare is you take the best of everyone's life. Just, you just pick and choose the best of theirs, the best relationship of theirs, the best parenting of theirs, the best money of theirs. And, and often those aren't real either because they're just being paid for by ads. So they're faking it as well. But anyways, so you grab all of the best of everyone's life and then you aim for that. And what you are shooting for is actually impossible to have a perfect life in every area. And so you begin to live this life of discontentment and feeling like you are never enough because there's always someone that has it more. And that is always how comparison will play out. And so just know if maybe your negative identity came from you constantly comparing to the things that you don't have or the people on another side of a screen. Third way maybe that you got your negative identity is a person. And maybe this person spoke a negative identity that wasn't true over you at some point in life. Maybe they consistently spoke it over you for a long period of time in your life. And that thing they said, how they viewed you became your identity and your everything. And maybe you didn't even see it or realize it before, but now that identity is leading and, and causing all of your actions. Maybe it wasn't even someone who said something for a long time. Maybe it was one person on the playground when you were a kid. And that thing they said in that label has so triggered you to be insecure that that word has stuck with you your whole life. And you are still letting someone in, in third grade on the playground dictate your actions and your decisions. And they've created a negative label. We get them from a lot of different places, but I want you to know that this isn't something that's new. In fact, we see this still happening thousands of years ago. I want to talk about something that's happening in the book of Judges, in our Old Testament of your Bible. And what's happening in the book of Judges is that God had led his people, the Israelites, into the promised land. So his people, he was protecting, he was guiding, he was leading. There's all the, the famous stories that come out of that season. Well, they get to the promised land that they were given. The problem is there's other tribes all around them. And as these tribes are all around them, they're trying to figure out how do we live amongst these tribes? And at that time, it was sort of like might makes right, like power takes over. And so one of the neighboring tribes was the Midianites. 
And the Midianites were a powerful group of people. They were called warriors. That was their, like the label of their tribe, a warrior tribe. And the Israelites, smaller in numbers, were farmers. And so what happens is, and what happened for seven years, was anytime the more powerful group wanted what the less powerful group had, they would just roll in, take what they wanted, abuse what they wanted, and get out of there. And so for seven years, this is what's happening to God's people, the Israelites. The Midianites, because they were stronger, would come in, take what they wanted, and leave. And for seven years, God's people are tormented and tortured. And so God reaches this point where he has to call somebody out to go, someone can't stand for this. We have to fix this. We have to make sure that we are protecting and saving our people for a generation. And so he calls a guy named Gideon. He says, Gideon, you're going to be the one. You, I'm going to be behind you. I'm going to lead you. And we are going to do something powerful in this generation that will be talked about for the rest of history. And then here's Gideon's reply in Judges 6, verse 15. Gideon said to him, me, my master? Hold on, how and with what could I ever save Israel? Look at me. My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the runt of the litter. Did you catch his negative identity? God calls him to one of the greatest moments in history. And he says, God, God, you don't understand. Look at me. I can't do this. My family's weak. I'm the weakest of my family. Here's I'd be willing to bet. They don't give us this detail, but I'm just guessing. That's maybe not the first time he's said this about himself. In fact, it might not be the first time someone else has said it. I'd be willing to bet that maybe sometime along the way in like Israelite pre-K, someone said, um, hey, your family's weak. Hey, your family, the, the, we see this pattern in your family and you're never going to amount to anything. You're never going to build your way out of that. And he grabbed on. And he let that become his identity. And it didn't matter. Everything they did just reinforced that they're weak and everything that he did reinforced that he could never rise out of that. And then somewhere along the way, someone called him the runt. And I don't know if you have siblings, but that's just my guess. And then someone said, hey, not only is our family weak, you were the weakest. And he grabbed hold and he decided everything I do that fails is because I'm weak. Every time I, I try to, to do something and it doesn't quite work out, it's because I don't amount to anything. And he began to live in this negative loop so much so, don't miss this, so much so to where even the voice of God was not enough. He held on to his negative identity so strongly when he finally got a calling that when he finally got a destiny, that when he finally got a purpose and he had God himself saying, I am on your side, you can do it. He still said, no, I can't. That is how strong our identities are. That is how strong holding on to something that someone said 20 years ago can be. You might actually be missing something that God has for you because of what that kid said on the playground. And so here's how God answers him. God does not say, okay, well, hey, here's your workout regimen. All right, we're going to get those muscles really good and you won't, you won't be weak anymore. And then here's what we're going to do. He didn't say, yeah, you know what? We're going to fix your family dysfunction and then, then we'll, we'll work around this and we'll see, oh, you're right. You know, I wasn't really looking at you getting in and yeah, let's make some adjustments to our plan. He calls them a name. Here's what he says. Angel of God appeared to him and said, God is with you. Oh, mighty warrior. Oh, you're weak? Call you mighty. Oh, you're just a farmer from a weak family, can't amount to anything. How about a warrior? 
oh, you, you just feel like you're on your own and you can't accomplish anything. How about I'm with you? God's address to Gideon was identity-based. He said, if you're going to make change, if you're going to see this destiny happen in your life, you have to understand who you are. And it's not the negative labels that have been spoken over you for way too long, Gideon. It is who I say you are. And Gideon, I say you're a mighty warrior. Now for Gideon, if you turn the page, I don't know if your Bibles are titled this in mind, chapter seven, the very next chapter, it says, Gideon defeats the Midianites. One chapter later, chapter seven, an identity change led to a change, not just in his habits, not just in his progression. It was knowing who he was that allowed him to step out into what he was called to. And here's just what scares me to death is that too many of us have a chapter seven waiting. Too many of us want to be able to read that chapter seven that finally says so-and-so defeated this addiction. So-and-so defeated this family trauma. So-and-so finally turned a generational issue around. So-and-so finally got out of debt. So-and-so finally moved forward in understanding their purpose. So many of us have chapter sevens waiting and ready, but we are holding on to a label given by us, uh, by someone that doesn't even matter in the scheme of things. And we're avoiding what God says and what he calls you. And we might just be missing it. We see Jesus operate the same way. Every time he interacts with someone, he doesn't address their behavior. He doesn't address all the things they need to get right first. And a lot of times he doesn't even address their current identity. He just changes it, just gives them a new one. And one of the things I love about Jesus is that time and time again, he will approach people and will say at the start of the story, here is this person, here is their label. It's here, they, here they are in culture. It's here they've assigned themselves, whatever their label is. And then Jesus will call them just like God did with Gideon, something completely opposite. And then they will begin to live into the opposite identity. It's, it's crazy. And you see him do this with, with Matthew. Matthew's one of his disciples. And Matthew, at the start of everything, was a tax collector. And they even talk about him this way. Culture would label him an outcast, a thief, someone taking from his own people. He was pushed aside. He didn't matter. He was not welcomed in any circles, especially religious circles. And Jesus, the first thing we see him say to Matthew is, hey, Matthew, follow me. Hey, just come on. Like, you're welcomed. You belong. Oh, you don't believe it? That's fine. You still belong. Oh, you're still stealing from people? That's okay. We'll work on that later. You belong. You can follow me. You can belong with me. You are not an outcast. You are a family member. You are a friend. That was the label that he gave Matthew. And for Matthew, it began to change everything. As he lived the rest of his destiny, not as a thief or a tax collector, but as a disciple of Jesus Christ and one of the greatest church planters and leaders of all time. An identity change that led to action. We see this when he meets Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus literally having to hide to like not see the crowd because he was already pushed aside as he was rich, he was corrupt, he had too much stuff. He would never change. He could never do anything good. He just always cares about himself. These are all the things that labeled Zacchaeus. And then Jesus spends one afternoon with him sees his wealth. He goes to his house. He sees all the things that he has. He sees how, you know, he stored up all this stuff for him. And he looks at Zacchaeus and he says, hey, you're saved. You, I see your potential. I see your heart. I, I, you don't have to fix all of your heart issues yet. I, I know that they're coming. I just want you to know you, you're forgiven. This is in the story of the woman who runs to Jesus' feet while he's sitting with religious people and they're wanting to debate religious things. And this woman walks in and she just cries at the feet of Jesus because she had heard about who he is and 
had really accepted this invitation before she even got to meet him. And he's crying at his feet and the religious people, they say, oh, he would be appalled if he knew what kind of woman. If he knew what kind of sinner, what kind of person that is, he would really not want to interact. And what he looks at them and her and says is, no, she's forgiven. She's not her mistake. She's not that thing that you always see when you see her. She's what I see. And I see perfection and forgiveness, an opportunity to be made new regardless of her past. It was a new identity. Peter, another disciple of Jesus, he would go on to write to different churches that he led. And in these letters, he would instruct them on, on, on various things. And for Peter, he was one of those that he was following after Jesus. And that when Jesus died, he gave up and ran and said, heck no, the whole thing, because how could a God die? And so there were no Jesus followers at the cross. And so Peter was one of those. And then Peter claims, like hundreds of other eyewitnesses, that something changed in his life because he would see Jesus again after he died. And these hundreds of eyewitnesses, they began to run back into the street and say, never mind, here's evidence. He is who he said he is. And so these Christ followers began to try and meet together and figure out um, how do we follow after Jesus? How do we apply these things to our lives? If, if he is who he said he was, God, then like, what does this mean for our lives? And so Peter was one of those instructing them and helping them live this out. And he writes this uh, book in First Peter of, hey, here's how we're going to live out a, a Christ-like conduct. In other words, if you want to model Jesus, if you want to live out the behaviors that he lived out in your life, here's how we're going to do it. But he doesn't just start with behavior or how or living that out. He pauses and he gives them an identity check. And here's what he says. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. He looks at his listeners and goes, it's not about what label you're carrying. It's not about your pastor or where you come from. It's not about your church experience. You are made new because Jesus made you new. And there is nothing you can do that can separate you from that love. You are part of Jesus' plan to redeem the world. Now, why I think Peter could say this was because unlike Gideon, Peter had a positive identity. And this had been spoken over him before. To where Gideon had just had negative over after negative after negative spoken over his life, Peter had a lot of mistakes. In fact, if you read any of the gospels, you'll probably see Peter as like the messiest disciple. He's constantly misspeaking, misstepping, getting things wrong. Even after Jesus died, he was the one who like denied him and said, no, you know, it's not me. And uh, Jesus, over and over and over again, would say, it's okay, Peter. Yeah, you made a mistake. You're not a mistake. Yeah, you misspoke there. You're not messed up. Hey, let me, let me help you. Let me come alongside this journey with you. Let me still love you. And that was what was so powerful to Peter after he saw his friend again, who he saw die, his friend said, I love you. It's okay. And so for a guy like Peter, it was easy to, to go, hey, listen, all the Christ followers I'm writing to, I get you've made mistakes. I get you have failures. I get you have a past. I get you're not sure. I get you have questions. I get someone said X, Y, and Z over you, but you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're God's special possession. I think that our lives might look different if we could reframe the negative identities and make them a more positive or true one.
And in fact, the opposite of that loop that I showed you earlier is actually possible. Because if we would start with a positive identity, here's who I am, not based off of what that person said or that one mistake, but based off maybe what God says or what the people who care about you most say or what all of the other wins in your life would actually show you. So I have a positive identity. I'm gonna make a positive decision. Because I am this thing, I can do this. Because I am loved, I can love. Because I am accepted, I can accept. I can move forward in a positive action or at least try it because that's who I am. And then small decisions over time build habits. And you'll find yourself being generous and being loving and being all of these things that you didn't even think were possible, but it's small actions over time that have built you into someone that you are. And then that begins to solidify your identity. Instead of being stuck in this negative spiral in this loop where you just feel like you can't escape, you begin to thrive. You begin to, to confirm who you are in Christ. You begin to continue to live it out and your mistakes don't throw you off the rails, but they are just something to learn from so you continue to grow in your positive identity. I think for us, again, Christ follower or not, I think we have to get this right. And I don't think it's gonna start with like a 12-step plan to, to losing weight. I don't think it's gonna start with like a, here's how to master potty training and one Instagram post. I think it's gotta start with who we are. And so before we get going in week two and three and I have a lot more practical stuff, but I'd like you to answer two questions and like actually answer these this week. I'd love if you'd even write them down or keep these somewhere. The first one is, is simply this, who am I? Who am I really? Who are you? Not based off that one mistake, take that out. Not based off what that, what that one girl said on the playground, take that out. Not based off what someone said who later validated they should not be speaking into your life. Take that out. Who are you? And I don't know if, again, Christ followers in the room, maybe you know this, those who aren't, can I just give you at least what we think God would say to that, that answer? Even if you're not sure about the Jesus thing or the church thing, here's what I think God says about you. And so for some, this might be new information. For some, this might just be a reminder that you really need to hold on to. But when God says about you, okay, even if you might feel like he's far removed because of how you messed up, even if you feel like he's someone off in the sky judging you or whatever, I, if that's been the God that you've been shown somewhere along the way, I am so sorry. Because that is not who God is. And that is not how he sees you. And read one sentence of scripture and you can get, it, get that. So how God feels about you is that you are his workmanship. It uses that word workmanship and it's a little bit of a traditional word, but I don't love to change it because I just love the idea that you are a masterpiece. That he's obsessed with you. That he built you exactly the way you are. He crafted you the way that you are. He is so in love with you and so behind you that, that there is not a mistake in you. And then what he did in Jesus was die on your behalf, regardless of any mistake you could have ever made, the one thing you've made that you are so just hung up on that surely God can't love me. He has already forgiven you for that. He has accepted you anyways, and you can be made new and you can have purpose. He has all of that for you. You have worth, you matter, you're enough. You have grace upon unconditional grace that can never be taken away. That's who you are. And some of you just need to say that. Some of you might need to write it down and read it maybe every morning this week or for a month. 
to go, no, I'm loved. I'm forgiven. And maybe let that change your identity. And then the second question I want you to ask is who do I want to become? Because we talk about the things we're going to do and the habits we're going to place in our lives and moving forward on all of that action. I think it's important that you know where you're going because no one plans to take their life off the rails. No one plans to wreck all of their relationships and end up in a place they never wanted to be. That, that's not how it works. But they fail to plan where they do want to go. And so if we were just to reverse engineer our decisions and go, who do I want to become? At the end of my life, what do I want said about me? Even as a student, you can do this to go, and at the end of my life, what would that look like? What would that look like to one day be a spouse or to one day be a parent or one day be whatever? What do I want said about me? And then let's work backwards. Because when you know who you are and you know who you're becoming, it will make it incredibly clear what to do. And then we're going to start next week. Now, before we go, I, I didn't want to do this. Um, and I, I get the critique a lot, like, bring more of you and you know, be more vulnerable. And so I'm trying, okay? This is part of me um, working on myself. Um, I wrote down these for me. And as I was writing them, it even clarified some things for me. Some things I was doing that I actually probably don't need to do. Some things that I haven't started yet that I should probably put more priority behind. And so against maybe my wishes, I'm just going to read them um, to you. And so here's what I wrote. And for you, listen, I wrote a lot. Um, sorry, it's, I'm a words person. Um, if you're like, hey, I don't have all that, I just have like a couple words, that's fine. That's fine. But what is that for you? So here's what I wrote. Who am I? I'm designed with love and intentionality by my creator. There wasn't a single mistake. And it was all for a purpose to be the spouse, the parent, the son, and the friend that people in my life need. I am astronomically loved with more love than I could ever begin to comprehend. I am created to demonstrate a glimpse of that love to other people. My worth and my value are not built on any accomplishment, but God's accomplishment. I am enough because he said that I am enough. And who do I want to become? I want to be known as someone who deeply loved and sacrificed for his family, his wife, his kids Brecken and Brewer, and possibly more if he decides he hates sleep altogether. Someone who strives to see the best in people and calls it out of them. And loves with an unbridled grace that reflects the love that God has for us. I want people who interact with me to feel championed, encouraged, reminded of their worth. And I want to finish the race being marked by steadiness, integrity, and joy. As I wrote those down, it was very clear. There's a lot I'm doing right now maybe even some good things that I'm putting a lot of priority behind that don't help me get there. But there are some things I, I've just been rolling over from year to year. And if I hope to become this, they've got to change. And so, like I said, I, if you don't have a ton of words, if you just have like a couple, a phrase or something, that, that's great. 
Um, especially like I know guys, like we struggle with this a little bit more to go like uh, being vulnerable and like sharing this with people. And if you don't want to share this with someone, that's okay. I would encourage you to write it down though. Cause I think even just by writing it to see it in front of you, what I thought might be my answers were actually my answers. And so what I want us to do is if you'll take me up on this, would you just do that this week? Just jot down the answer to those two questions. Who am I and who do I want to become? And then next week, we're gonna talk about what we actually do with those and how to get going, but we've got to be clear on what's next. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for how you love us. For the fact that any label we walked in carrying doesn't overcome your label. That you have spoken perfection, that you have spoken forgiveness, that you have spoken a brand new identity and purpose in us. And so God, I pray you would just help us step into that. Help us be reminded of that. God, then in every interaction we would live from that place. And God, I pray that you would help us begin to move forward and erase some of those voices that are holding us back because they shouldn't be louder than yours. God, I thank you for a place that is safe enough to, to wrestle with these things together. And God, just help us on this journey. It's your name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.